Welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined as usual by the lovely Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hello. Hello, Carter. How are you? I'm all all well and good. Um, today, we're joined by a special guest, Daniel Wagner from Unframe of Mind. Daniel is the father of four, a writer, graphic designer, political and social commentator, singer, songwriter, creator of things unique. After graduating with a BA in business information systems, organizational management, and entrepreneurship, Daniel has been working full-time supporting his family and working on a continuous stream of side projects, including Unframe of Mind. In his free time, Daniel loves to sing, play guitar, video games, and woodworking. Daniel pulls much of his influence from philosophers and free thinkers, old and new alike, like Aristotle, Socrates, Ayn Rand, Stefan Molyneux, David Smalley, Joe Rogan, and countless others. Uh, you should be warned that uh, I've heard the rumor is that prolonged exposure to Daniel may cause nausea, disorientation, dizziness, loss of appetite, morning wood, and critical thinking. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Unframe of Mind and on Minds at Unframe of Mind, and you can go to unframeofmind.com. I think I got it all. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show. I'm glad you had me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Daniel, it's so good to see you again. Yes, ma'am. I, I really enjoyed having you on our show, and we've been working forever to try to. And then I realized that in order to get on your show, you're the wrong person to go through, and that's okay. Got it. For <laughs> scheduling purposes, I need Carter on copy to keep me honest. You're like, like, you're like, <laughs> you're like the free spirit of the group, aren't you? You're, you're the one that's hard Sorry. to nail on, but once we get you, you're like amazing, right? Uh, uh, accurate, I guess you could say. Carrie yes. just needs a dad. It's okay. It's fine. Oh, man. You know what? I'm not even going to get offended because it's true. And yeah, anyway. Lack of scheduling abilities is a, a manifestation of daddy issues. Is that, Am I understanding that no, correctly? No, I don't have daddy issues. I just no, I have – um, I'm learning to – here's the thing. We're here to interview you. Why are we talking about personal issues? The reason I, I'm not getting offending – not getting offended is because I recognize that one of my shortcomings has been in life and in pre to um, sometimes expect others to help parent me. And so there are things that you learn to do as an adult that I didn't learn when I was an SJW that I'm learning now. And also I have a condition called time blindness and Carter doesn't believe is real. Why don't you put that in your Twitter profile, Carrie? Why don't you just put Carrie Smith time blindness in your, Twitter profile. That's the thing now. <laughs> it's true. It's much anyway, anyway, welcome, Daniel. You are here. <laughs> I'm glad I could talk to you. I had so much fun on your show. I laughed a lot. And uh, uh, there was the clip you did about you totally took me by surprise because I wasn't sure what you were saying. I was talking about the um, SJW wars and knitting, Carter. And I was saying something about the white knitters. And he was like, excuse me. <laughs> Can you back up? Right. Well, that's a normal response if you haven't been paying yeah. attention. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I was trying to be a smart aleck and, and imply that she was using the N-word. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> She's in a white knitters group. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> knitters is a euphemism, I see. Yeah. So, Daniel, I want to hear a little about your background because one of the things that we talked about on your show that was interesting is that we're sort of doing similar things. We're, we both are doing a podcast. We both have uh, an anarchist atheist as a co as a host. Well, you are, is, is that correct? An anarchist atheist. And Carter was saying for the show that you're one of like five people he knows who's also anarchist and atheist. Um, how did you guys come 
to be together doing the podcast? Like what's your background? What, what motivated you? What compelled you to start doing a show? Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I started out with a couple of other shows before Unframe of Mind, um, trying to kind of pull on some of the things that I enjoy doing, such as like music. I had a one, one called uh, Stars Underground, um, okay. where, where I kind of, uh, the, the idea was to help musicians with their marketing strategies and things like that. That didn't really take off and I wasn't really, I didn't have my heart in it. I tried another one called Parent of Progress because I was in, into this newfound peaceful parenting thing. And so I was like trying to, to relay all the great things that have come of it and the things that I've learned and the things that I'm struggling with and that kind of thing also didn't really take off. A lot of people aren't like super stoked about a parenting podcast. Um, you know, what, wait, can we just pause on? I know I'm, I'm interrupting already, but I props to you for doing that, because the way to solve most of our problems is through parenting. But no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to hear about it. Everyone gets triggered like they're like, don't tell me how to parent. Uh we just got to spank our kids more like that's that's just it's like, all right, there's no you can't have rational discussion. So thanks for trying. The, yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, that was actually <laughs> one of the big discussions in our unframed minds group. We have a, a, a private Facebook group called unframed minds. And one of the topics that came up was spanking. And that was probably we actually got into more of a of a debate about that than we have about any other thing in the entire like all of the topics that come up, I mean, we talk about vaccines and Agenda 21 or whatever, you know, all sorts of just whatever things that people want to talk about from whatever side of the political spectrum you are. And the spanking one was a, a especially interesting one because nobody, everybody was really like dug in hard on their side and I wasn't really wanting to listen, but they were still respectful because that's the group rules. So <laughs> everything was fine, but it was really interesting to see how much pushback you get on that right away. And I totally understand it. I was there. I've been on both sides of the parenting spectrum, but, um, to, to continue, um, I was, I, I decided, you know what, what have I always enjoyed doing? And it's having conversations like this to having, having conversations of a, of a deeper, more meaningful philosophical, uh, including the, and the parenting portion is included in that. So I, I don't, just stop talking about it because, but I, I, I've now allowed myself a lot more room. And it was a buddy of mine named Lee Mullendor. He was, you'll, you'll go back and look at a bunch of the earlier episodes and you'll see him on there with us. And, uh, we just started having the conversations and, and having the talks and bringing up the subjects, the hard subjects, nobody wanted to listen to, or sorry, nobody wanted to talk about. And we call it un we, our, our catchphrase, uncomfortable conversations without a condom came out of our kind of <laughs> in the gutter style, uh, sense of humor, you know, we're, we're, we're real open and, and filterless for the most part. Um, we have a dirty sense of humor, you know, we, we'll, we'll make any jokes you want to make. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what you believe or think or feel, you know, we'll make jokes. And, uh, it was just a lot of fun. And well, Lee moved on since then. And I brought in my current co-host, Anthony, who happens to be a Christian conservative. And it, on the face, if you look at it as a, an, an anarchist, atheist, and a Christian conservative, you think, wow, these guys must battle about everything. Well, it turns out it kind of proved the thought that I had before that most people agree on most things. <laughs> but it's yes. just a few yes. we disagree on. And very, very seldom do we actually have straight up disagreements on the show. But when we do, you know, it's very amicable. It's very respectful. It's very, oh, I see where you're coming from, but I don't, I, I, I disagree with it. You know, that kind of, the way it used to be back in the sixth grade when we could have a conversation and disagree with our boys and still be friends in the morning, you know? Yeah. Although I, that's, I don't think that's necessarily true for the same. I think that that segment of the population for which that is true is actually shrinking a little bit because there are, there is a segment of the population that uh, isn't starting with the same fundamental premises that even you and your co-hosts share that 
hey, you should be able to have free speech and we should be able to have dialogue about this. And, uh, you know, there's an increasing segment of just kind of an authoritarian mindset that doesn't like even having the conversation. I think that's difficult to talk to those people. I, I agree. Yeah. As long as you, but I think I love it because it proves something that I think our show is is also trying to prove, which is that as long as you do agree on those basic fundamentals, free speech, you know, dialogue, then anything you can, you can have a conversation about anything without it coming to, you know, you're evil for not agreeing with me. Um, and, and I, I, I so love that. I love that you guys are doing this together. Um, so, so can you tell me a little bit about the, so it sounds like you've opened up your, what you guys talk about. It's a much more broad category than it used to be. So it's not just parenting. Do you guys tend to be more, we describe ourselves as like a culture podcast primarily. And then we get into politics sometimes. Are you, do you hit on politics a lot? Would you say it's more of a culture show? Uh, we talk about relationships, social issues, bold ideas, and LOLs. Those are our categories. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, if it falls under those, that there's a pretty safe bet we're going to talk about those things. So I guess I guess it would be a little, uh, very much in alignment with you guys' show as far as cultural type things. And and we talk about relationships and we talk about kind of real personal stuff because that's I think where you're going to see the most impact on people's lives. Uh, those have been some of our biggest shows, actually, is, is talking about people with drug addiction, uh, drug addictions and alcohol abuse and uh, uh, childhood trauma and things like, you know, stuff, that, real issues that people are dealing with. Not this. Uh, oh, did you see what Nancy Pelosi said and the way she smirked on camera? You know, whatever. I don't care about that stuff. Nobody really. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think anybody actually gives a shit. It just gives them something to a common point to talk about and bitch about. But beyond that, the real stuff, the stuff that, you know, when you find yourself having to uh, no choice but to confront those in your very own household. You know, I feel like that the politics is kind of a way of avoiding those conversations. It's It's a way of skating over it it's a way of trying not to actually address the issues and pretend as though and feel as though you're actually addressing something does that make sense yeah absolutely focusing on the external instead of the internal mm. yeah. right yeah there's, there's so many there's so many people in my immediate circle that you know you, you find out real quick who your friends are and who who really honestly values your friendship or your uh company if you will you just tell tell them the truth Speak truth to people. You'll find out really, really quickly what your actual circle looks like. And I think a lot of people are really scared of what that might actually entail. So they just continue to play nice and continue to just talk about the weather and talk about politics and talk about, you know, coronavirus. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just that kind of thing that just keeps uh, keeps everybody from actually discovering the true nature of their relationships. I think that's brilliant because I think you're spot on about that it's, it keeps them from actually connecting and having the hard conversations. I mean, one thing that I'm, I like about you guys is you you also have you have some wild people on your show and you just like you, I, you had a show with an avowed racist and you were just like, all right, let's let's have a conversation. Um, and I think you've had some people on the on the far left. I, I understand you've had like SJW types on your show as well. Um, whenever we can get them. Yes. Yeah, That's, you don't seem to shy away from any conversations, which is great. No, no, not at all. Not at all. We, we actually, I think we value the conversations when, where somebody disagrees with us more than we do about just, you know, shooting the shit with an echo bubble, echo chamber. I'm sorry, am I allowed to cuss on your show? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can swear. Yeah. Okay. I try Every to avoid... time you swear, Carter has to put my, his own money into the swear jar. Oh, okay. okay. Wait, that's a new I just, rule. I try to avoid the hard ones, but, you know. <laughs> I had no idea. 
I had no idea that was my that was a rule. Um, You're basically broke now after this show. Yeah. Well, I thought I only had to put it in for when I swore, but apparently I have to put it in for when everyone swears. Um, so I, can you just uh, look, I, I happen to be uh, an anarchist atheist. Everyone knows what an atheist is and that, that's not complicated. But I think a lot of people I don't talk about it much on the show. What does it mean to you to say that you're an anarchist? Because uh, I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, so you're like Antifa? Yeah, I know. And that, that's the that's the 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 interesting thing is I hear people in the media, people I respect that should know better, use this word anarchy in, in this very derogatory kind of way. Well, these people are out there protesting and you have straight anarchy in the streets. You hear Mark Levin, you hear Dan Bongino, you hear, you hear a lot of a lot of these even even Tim Poole says the word anarchy in such a way that you're like, oh, these guys don't actually know what it is. This right. word has been so co-opted by mainstream media and by the elites and by, you know, obviously you're not going to learn what anarchy is if you're in a government ran public school because it's the exact it's, it's antithetical to what they completely stand for. So it's, it's not it's no surprise that people don't know what it is. To me, it just means no rulers, no people at the top telling everybody how they can live their life, no by legal system where it, wherein the, the, the underlings have this one set of rules and the people in the, in the ruling class have the second set of rules. It's like actual equality. It's like real equality for everybody, you know, equality of, uh, of, of not of outcome, but you know, of just, just equality. Just, I don't know. I'm losing my words here, but it, yeah. like, like I said, it's just, it's, it's very interesting to hear them say it and then Viscerally, as as you and I hear these things, I'm, it's, I think it's like, oh God, there's there's dead. another example of some somebody who doesn't know what it is. People hear it, and then it's just dug in even deeper. The wrong definition of what it is. It's like so frustrating, and it's yeah. like we need a new word for it, right? Well, I've started calling it. I've started saying voluntarism because people don't know what it is, and then I have to explain it, and then I'm like, oh, it's where people oh like voluntarily have interactions with each other, and there's no rules about like there's no rulers over them they voluntarily interact with each other and people kind of nod their heads and like even if they don't agree that sounds peaceful but when you say anarchy they think of like destruction and nihilism right i will admit i'm one of the people who thinks of destruction and nihilism when i hear the word anarchy just because of how it's been used my whole life and so meeting you carter and finding out that you were an anarchist started to change some of those ideas of what that word meant for me, but it still holds overall that it's, it's, I think you're, you, you might be on the right path by just coming up with a new word, because I don't know if you can take that word back entirely. I don't know. I try to with certain words, like I try to hold on to the word liberal, although it's come to mean something other than liberalism. So I don't know. That's, that's interesting though. So what about this was my, this may be a dumb question, but when I was in college, I had a copy of the Anarchist Handbook that someone gave me. Is the Anarchist Handbook? You mean an the Anarchist accurate... Cookbook? Is that what you mean? Yes, the Anarchist Cookbook, and it was all hey, about how to make. Get your dogs. anarchy liter- literature correct, Carrie. How dare you? <laughs> you know, is that representative of anything that you believe? Or no. Honestly, I don't, I've never even. Question. I don't even oh. know. What it is. I have no Do you idea. You know what it is, Carter? Yeah, I know what it is. Uh... No, I mean, the anarchist cookbook is basically uh, a guide to mischief. It's like, here's how to disrupt society. It's not a it's I would even call it more of like a. 
it's it's more of like an insurgent cookbook, wouldn't you say, Carrie? I mean, you read it. Yeah, it was. And so I think that also shaped my perception of what anarchist meant. Right. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. I, I do like the word voluntarism much better. Um, the, I, the thing I like about anarchy as a, as a term and the, the thing I actually, the same thing I like anarchism, sorry, atheism as a term. The reason I like them both is because both terms actually tell you what I don't believe. Right. They don't, they don't tell you anything about what I do believe. You actually have to talk to me and get to know me to understand what I do, what I do actually believe. What are my principles? Anarchism and atheism don't say anything at all whatsoever about who I am, what I believe. They just tell you what I don't believe in that's all it is yeah kind of an interesting way of looking at it that is a good way of looking at it yeah, yeah. i mean but that that that's the same way that gets you in trouble too because people have assumptions because if you say you're an atheist for example uh mm -hmm. that means a whole thing to a whole bunch of people when when technically it just means what you don't believe um yeah. what do you find do people ask you about those things and what do you like what do you say well what a matter of fact it's that that's kind of how I determine who I'm actually going to continue to interact with because you can you can tell when people have this like visceral reaction to what you you are and they don't have any curiosity whatsoever all they have is assumptions I can already tell that's probably going to be a pretty manipulative person in my life I don't need them around I I may I'll be I'll be cordial with them unless they do something otherwise to make it so that that's not the case anymore but I'm not going to bring them into my inner circle I'm looking for people that are curious hey what what's that mean what do you mean by that? What do you actually believe? Like, well, how do you feel about this? What do you, you know, people that are like digging in and want to know more, you know, and, and they're respectful about it and they're open to it. That's the kind of people that it's, it's almost like a, a way of a filter of sorts. That makes sense. This is a way I can kind of determine who gets to come in and who don't. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, what do you say to when people say, well, how could you have a state without a government? What's your vision? Because I think there are a lot of different people who call themselves anarchists that have different ideas for what that would look like. So can you maybe give me a, something a little more specific? Well, uh, question. Uh, I mean, I can ask the general question, like the, I can ask the, uh, the standard, what Who's about gonna roads? Build the roads? Is it okay to murder people? Like what happens? What is, what's wrong with your society? How could you not have a law against murder and, and cops enforcing that? Yeah, the, the, the standard kind of answer for that is I just go straight to, well, it, I, if you believe that taxation is theft and if you believe theft is wrong, then therefore the government is immoral. So I, and, and quite frankly, I don't care how we solve the problems, just like I don't care how we pick the cotton. Slavery is wrong. I don't care right. how we run, build the roads. It's immoral to steal money from people to justify building them. It's, right. it's no, it's just, it's just on a, on a moral basis. If you agree with the, the taxation is in fact theft, and I don't, I haven't heard any convincing arguments otherwise, uh, then you have to follow that logically. That government is therefore immoral, and yeah, we need to get rid of it, and we need to find another way to do it. Yes, it's going to be hard at first. Of course, it's going to be hard. People aren't used to thinking that way. And it's kind of interesting when I get in these conversations with people and we start talking about some of the specifics of, of some of the things that, you know, how we could handle X and Y and how, how might something, you know, be handled differently in an anarchist free society versus the government controlled totalitarian society that we're looking at. It's like they start to go, oh, I never even thought of that. But that is interesting. You know, like you point out how the incentives are all wrong. How you, how you point out, well, there's, you know, in a government ran X or Y, they, they don't have any incentive to actually solve the problem because they leave themselves without a job. 
So there's no there's their incentive is to keep the problem alive. Matter of fact, you see the drug war on drugs, you see the war on on poverty. Those things have only continued to escalate since the since the uh, beginning of those programs. <laughs> They're super yeah. successful. It worked really well, right? The war on drugs. We're done. So I think how come we have we don't have mission accomplished on that one? Um, I mean, I mean, as as long as like 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 the best one I've seen is if if they can't even keep drugs out of prisons, right? Like, what are we doing? What are yeah. we doing? Right. It's pretty clear. It's pretty. It's but they're gonna try and make you live in a prison, and they're gonna justify it by keeping drugs out of your hands. I don't know. If I mean, if you if you have a solution to the problem, go over to this prison and see if you can solve it there. If you can solve it there, then maybe we'll talk. Then we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. Fair about enough. Expand that to the broader society. Yeah, I mean something that something that always. I'm glad you kind of brought this up because something that bothers me about the arguments about anarchism is pe when people say, "Well, how would you do X, Y, and Z?" Um, it starts with it's it comes from an assumption that I think is wrong to begin with, which is that we should have the answers to how everything should be done. Like the answer is, I don't know. Like if someone had said to me 30 years ago, how would you build a supply chain so that iPhones would get into people's hands? I'll be like, I don't know. How would that happen? I have no freaking idea, but guess what? We'll figure it out. Like it'll be, people will interact and it'll get figured out. So the idea that like, how could you possibly build the roads? It's like, well, I, if you want to get from A to B, you'll figure it out. Like it, it's not an unsolvable problem. Why do we have to have a bureaucrat solve it? Oh, oh, and and uh, one thing I thought about is, you know, everybody's bitching about, hey, we weren't, where's these flying cars we were promised by 2020? Guess what? If we didn't have the presumption of needing roads all the time, maybe we would have come up with another solution because <laughs> building the roads becomes so costly that it's cheaper actually to produce a vehicle that goes above the ground. <laughs> maybe by now we would have that technology. Uh, I'm, oh, wait, I'm so glad you brought this up as well, because it's an environmentalist <laughs> issue as well, because there's this whole because envi the environmentalist movement always they're never their solution is never deregulation. right? It's always more government, more government, more government. Right. But mm -hmm. if you hadn't had the government build all of these roads, uh, we might have a vastly different transportation system. We might have um, much more mass transit and much less, you know, pavement everywhere. We probably wouldn't it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't be as economical as you're saying to just build cars and have everyone have cars and drive them all around because you'd have to be paying for using the roads and someone would have to be maintaining like directly paying, uh, not just, you know, taxing. And the idea and, and maybe even cities wouldn't be designed the same. The whole our whole lifestyle would be different if it wasn't for government taxing us and throwing roads together. Uh, so I just. Even from an environmental impact, I sometimes think of like, I don't know what it would look like, but it might be better. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I think. I think. I, how how would you think that we would even get there? That's that's always that's always the big big trouble. Is like, well, we've already got this thing, you know, with status quo and whatnot. How how I like I've always wondered that is like how people would even imagine that transition taking place. I think that's really honestly, and I, I have empathy for this that it actually scares people. The idea that well, I because I, I've actually heard this. I hear what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense, and I agree with the ethics behind it, but we have what we have today. This is just the way it is. I can't even imagine, and it, a lot of this is a lack of imagination. I can't even imagine what it would look like, that transition. How do we get there? Yeah. And, and I, I, don't, have, I don't have an answer for that. I've, I've always just kind of 
back on that it's a multi-generational issue that's going to have to be just we're going to have to continue to educate people, teach people, raise our kids peacefully, you know, that kind of thing. So that hopefully eventually, you know, 100 years from now, we might actually see some semblance of what kind of society we're talking about. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I don't think there is I don't think that's an illegitimate concern when someone says like, well, what do, like if we just cut the government out tomorrow? It would not be the anarchist utopia that you and I imagine. <laughs> like that would not overnight mm-hmm. happen. Um, and I think that's, I mean, this kind of gets back to Carrie's earlier question about whether you guys talk about politics. One of the reasons that we don't talk about politics much is precisely because we believe that the culture and actually the philosophy behind culture need to change. And that ultimately politics is really just a manifestation of what people already kind of believe. I mean, we ignore the Constitution, right? It doesn't matter what's written down. It's ignored. It's ignored because culturally and philosophically, no one gives a crap about it. So uh, if in order to get to the society that we're talking about, you need to have a bunch of people who actually don't view human relationships as power dynamics, but view them as exchanges, win-win exchanges between equals. And we don't have that culture. Right. No, I absolutely agree. That's that's a, that's a solid point. It's it's scary just thinking about it, just for even for me. And I've I've thoroughly sunk myself into this stuff and I've already come up with ideas for how we would do things. And, and I, I'm always looking at things through this lens. And and you're not like you said, you can't just drop the government tomorrow and expect all everybody's lenses to change at the same time. People are still going to continue to wear the race lenses. They're going to continue to wear the statist lenses. They're going to continue to wear the I've been publicly educated lenses, you know, and everything else. Like you, you're not. You have to change from the from the bottom up. The the, the children up. You, for lack of a better phrase, you kind of have to indoctrinate the children into this new idea, right? I like to use the word inoculate, but okay. <laughs> inoculate against the bad ideas. You mean? I'll, I'll go. Yeah. With, I'll go with that one. That's probably a much better word. But. Well, I mean, I, I actually meet you. Have kids, right? I mean, I I do. I. I don't think my daughter will, I mean, I could be, I guess in 10 years, someone can call me out on this, but I don't think she's ever going to be susceptible to social justice type ideology, not because I indoctrinated her, but because from day one, we've, I'm a peaceful parent, we've used reason and evidence and like encouraged her to think on her own. Like there's not, I'm not that worried about some Marxist coming along and saying, hey, let's start judging people by the color of their skin and put them into categories and, you know, whip people for the behavior of their ancestors. It's like, I I just don't see that as an idea that could really take root. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 when I'm raising my kids, uh, there there is a lot of negotiation going on. That's probably one of the biggest things is the, the negotiation aspect. There's, yeah. uh, we, we were just talking about this last night on one of our private Zoom calls we have for the Facebook group. And the, the, the idea was when I was growing up, my dad would tell me um, no if I asked him something. And then if I was to ask him why or anything like that, all I got in return was, well, because I said so. His right. word was final. No matter what, no questions asked, no reason, no rationale, no negotiation, no nothing. What he said goes. Like, and we, a lot of us have been raised that way. And, and so I end up raising my kids that way at first before I discovered the peaceful parenting aspect of it. Um, but it was, it was just, it's interesting seeing how the kids really thrive with that. Um, there's been a number of times when they'll come to ask me something and just like, you know, I'll, I'll say no, no. And then, and then they'll want to know why, and I'll have to come up with something. So I'm careful to even say no before making sure I have a damn good reason for (laughs) saying no. 
<laughs> and then sometimes I have a good reason. Sometimes I say no and I have the good reason. But that's not even the end of the story. The end of the story is or it's, it's usually, oh, well, what if I this or what if I do that or what if I, you know, maybe we can work it out better this way. And the kids start thinking that in that mode where they actually have some kind of power and pull in the relationship and they and they actually are a lot more um, – they're a lot easier to get along with in general, I think, because when I want them to do something, I can then turn around and do the same thing. I'm not pulling hair trying to get them to do things. You know, I've got they've got their own personality flaws. You know, for example, my son, he's a he's I call him bare minimum guy because he he, he doesn't do anything <laughs> wrong, but he will he will do it. What I ask of him and nothing more. <laughs> so he gets he gets what he wants. And that's that's just how he's happy. He's Mr. Procrastinator, Mr. Bare Minimum guy. And then I've got my daughter who she's um, constantly out learning new stuff. I've actually got her on the job site working with me now. That was one of the benefits of quitting my previous job going. Uh, I work for myself. She gets to work with me. We're doing we're doing home remodels and construction and things like that. She gets to come out and do it with me because she's been learning. She wants to learn. She's, you know, she's the uh, above and beyond. She's always got good grades kind of personality. But these are the different things I get to see and get to nurture as a result of not smashing them down with constant no and beating and violence and groundings and, and trying to, you know, it, it just doesn't work for, for us, <laughs> you know, right. used, used to, I guess, but not really. <laughs> This is so fascinating. Can I just say, this is so fascinating to watch the two of you together. And I'm sure any of our regular viewers will think this is funny too, because it's like two Carters. I'm not saying you're exactly the same, but, but you guys ha are so similar in some ways. Like just when I heard you start talking about the parenting style of just because I said so, Carter's talked about that before. And I don't have kids, so I learned a lot of these parenting tips from him that I'm filing away just in case. But one of the ones he's told me is that you, and he said on the show before, which is exactly what you said, is you have to have a reason why because you're teaching a child to reason and to think. And it can't just be you're teaching the child to respect authority and that's it, you know. Right. Um, the end so result. Sorry. Sorry, because the end result is we have a government where if they pass a law, everybody goes, oh, well, it's just law. Um, well, the government mandate said we have to wear masks. No question asked. So everybody wears masks. And then, and then, and then you got the same. I'm not saying it's quite the same thing, but you right. kinda, the, the thought process behind it. And then you end up with hundreds upon thousands of videos of Karens out there telling people, you got your mask on. You're endangering my life. <laughs> and you get all this crap coming out of it. It's like... <laughs> This is this is the mindset. This is the mindset <laughs> that weren't parented in a in a in a you know negotiation style peaceful parenting style. Yeah, yeah, That's so interesting. Yeah, I love I mean, it. So, what can you? Uh, what are some of the? I I know that people don't like to hear about parenting, but I want to talk about it. So fuck it. Uh, what's what are some of the biggest like challenges you've had? Because I've a lot of people are like, well, you know, I've tried to negotiate, but you sometimes you just have to you know. Put your foot down. And I've never had that experience where negotiation failed. So I don't know what they're talking about, really. But like maybe other people have had negotiation failures. What's well, the hardest part of this? Here's the thing. When people do that, I feel like what they're saying is, as a parent, I should still get my way. Right? Right. Right. That's where that's coming from. I should still get my way no matter what. I should just I just can't come up with the reasons enough to make my kid, you know, obey me. I think that's honestly what it is. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've begrudgingly had to go and take the kids off to somewhere because I really didn't want to. I wasn't really feeling like it, but I didn't have a good reason not to. 
But you know what you do for your kids? You, you got to work back and forth because guess what? Someday you're going to ask them to do something that they really don't want to do. And then you'll be able to call back to that experience and say, listen, you remember when you wanted to go over to your friend uh, Jessica's house or whatever, and I really didn't feel like doing it and I did it anyway because you asked me to. So can we have that same mutual respect? You can have that back and forth that way. But as long as you got the mindset of, hey, I feel like I'm parent and what I say goes and I'm going to negotiate, but my negotiation ain't working because I can't get the little shits to do what I want them to do. It's like, no, you got to you got to change your whole mindset on it. You're, you're, you're still guide and coach and parents. You're still in a position of authority, but you have to give some like yeah. you have to. Yeah, well, and because your goal is to raise someone with enough self-esteem and and negotiation skills and reason to go out in the world and question when the government passes a law and be like, well, why is that? Like, maybe I maybe I don't agree with that and and have an opinion that runs contrary to what authority figures are telling them. And if you expect to have, you know, we just read this book, Ordinary Men, which was about uh, regular like the police battalion 101 from from Nazi Germany. Um, getting sent to Poland to kind of quote police, but they ended up having to having to they ended up being ordered to kill kill Jews and and do a lot of horrible horrible things. And um, you know, one thing that really struck me was like, well, how do you raise a society of people who won't do that? And I mean, it starts with people who don't give a crap what the authority thinks when it's contrary to what their own convictions are. Right. That's that is one concern I've had um, as I as I moved on into uh, anarchist style thinking. I have some friends that are in the military and, you know, of course, one of the concerns is, you know, in, in the in the event that something should happen where the military comes in and has to, you know, martial law or what I don't know what they would look like. I, I asked him straight up. I said, how would you handle that situation? Like, are you do you have to follow orders? Do you have to? And, and they've they've all told me that they would not that they it goes against what their core beliefs are and they, they even have uh, the ability to, to go against it. But then they also tell me some other things like they're not allowed to go on social media and post about their beliefs because they can be, you know, fired from their jobs. And so they're, they're not, they're not allowed to have a free voice either. There's a lot of conflict going there in their worlds, I feel like, but it's, it's something that I always wonder yeah. would, would, was their parenting of the kind that would have them question the, the authorities in, in a moment when they're asked to do something that they otherwise would never do in a million years. Right. And people are notoriously bad at predicting whether or not they will follow authority off a cliff. Right. They 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 generally have good views of themselves. And well, I wouldn't do that. But when it comes to actually being asked to do it, uh, they seem to never live up to their own self-image. So it right. is a little bit concerning. And especially as we look at the social justice crowd try and take over governments. You know, the thing that I tell a lot of the Blue Lives Matter people and the, and the the cop backers, which, you know, I have friends that are cops too. And so they're, you know, the ones that I'm friends with are good people. But uh, who do you think is going to enforce these laws? Like, <laughs> for the most part, it's going to be the people you're defending and they're not going to give a crap about you. They're just going to follow orders most for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something to think about. And I, I really hope it doesn't come down to that. That would be not great at all. <laughs> I don't think we've, say the we've least. Uh, tipped the scales enough on convincing people that anarchy is the way because, you know, we've got a, we got a hell of an uphill battle. Yeah, we're pretty far from that, I think. Uh, I think we're, best best yeah. I can do is personally I can I can raise my kids uh, to my principles. 
and people who have interacted with my children, they love them to death. They, they see how well behaved they are. I've never had any trouble out of them. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a whole, it's a way that people can look and see what the manifestation of my core principles turn out to be like. And then, then maybe somebody else can look at that and go, Oh, that's, I like what you did there. How did you get through that? And they'll start asking questions and they'll start to understand where this world could lead. I hope, I I, th- I think that's the way we do it. Honestly, it's going to take a long time though. Yeah. It's a long, it's a long slog, but maybe mm-hmm. it's the only, maybe it's the only way. I mean, do you see, where do you see this going? Do you see that as being the only solution or do you think there's a, are we, are, are we going to turn a cultural corner soon? Man, it really depends on what authors I'm reading at the time. You know, I, I start reading. I start reading some George Orwell, and it's all it's all downhill from here. <laughs> you, know, you go go and read nineteen eighty four, and you go, oh god, we're like there. <laughs> this is this is yeah. our world right now. It's terrifying. Uh, you read Animal Farm. Uh, you read uh, Gulliver's Travels. Even you can kind of see some of the same patterns going. I think this is just a continuous cycle we've been on for this roller coaster of of states getting power and more 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 power and then people finally revolting and going no 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 we don't want that and then they battle it off and it comes back again you know it's like at some point at some point we gotta pull our heads out of our asses and recognize that hey that little state thing you guys keep trying to do just like you argue communism doesn't work (laughs) neither is that (laughs) communism just fails a lot faster and it's a lot more in your face you know that's one of my favorite. Uh, that's one of my favorite criticisms against uh, like voluntarism or anarchy. It's like you're just an idealist with some kind of utopian society, and it's like, well, who's the utopian idealist? The guy who thinks we should try something that's never been tried that could work, or the person who's like, every state ever in all of history has <laughs> has become horrible. Let's try that again. <laughs> Let's write some different rules down. It's like I, I don't know. It seems a little bit more utopian to me. That's, That's a, really that's funny, Carter, because I was going to ask you, since I have two of you here, to ask you guys <laughs> Sorry, earlier. Sorry, Terry, I feel like we're explain... yeah. No, that's okay. I was going to ask you guys to explain um, how your utopia, I was, it, for exactly the same thing, cause, because we criticize social justice Marxists all the time for having this utopian idea that they're supposedly working towards, and you just went ahead and did it for me, so thank you. Well, I... Utopia itself well, is, is it? not a bad thing. Like a utopia right. isn't a bad thing. It's the it's the principles upon which the utopia is based. Like they had the Marxists have pretty evil underlying principles, and then they have a utopia that's disconnected from reality. Like those principles aren't don't correlate to reality. So the utopia is crap. But if you have principles that correlates to like actual morals, saying it's a utopia, it's like the word extremism, right? People are like, oh, being an extremist is bad. I don't know. What does it mean to be extremely healthy? Like extremism as such isn't bad. Like it depends on what you're extreme about. That's bad. It's not extremism. That's the problem. It's the, it's the, it's the thing that you're extreme about. There's no such thing as extremely healthy, extremely moral, an extremely just society. Like, uh, <laughs> gee, that's horrible. I don't like, sorry. I'm yeah. Just all this water in my system. I'm extremely hydrated. <laughs> right. Stop doing that. Uh, no, I, I haven't heard it quite put quite that way, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, this this extremism isn't necessarily a bad thing. A <laughs> utopia isn't necessarily a bad thing. That's I'm, I've never been trying to shoot for a utopia necessarily. I know, I know people are gonna you know screw up. I know people course, are gonna make mistakes, yeah. and people are have evil intentions. I, I I mean that's you can't argue with that. You know that. You see it. It's yep. just it's just do you do you uh, 
do you create a society in which just a few of those evil, nasty assholes has all the power? Or do you have a society where that evil nastiness is a little bit more decentralized and diffused and much easier to handle on a local level, you know, versus this giant behemoth of state that nobody, literally nobody knows how to change it, how to redirect the ship. Like that's a, a, a virtually, if not impossible, task to right. do. And actually no one likes it. Like no one on either side, not that the side, I think they're the two sides of the same coin, but no one on either the left or right actually likes the government. Like they, no one's actually satisfied with their representation. No one says Congress is doing a great job. I've never hear that. Do you? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Never oh, mind. Oh, just, no, I didn't try. I actually <laughs> So I have a question for you, Daniel. You mentioned leaving your job earlier and starting to do your own thing. Um, can you, do you want to talk a little bit about, about that? Cause I was curious about you balancing, like, how do you balance a job and then also doing a podcast where you speak your mind in this day and age where people get canceled so easily? Um, did that play any part in you moving on or? Am I just reading into things? Uh, it did not. Actually. Oh, okay. It could have. And I'm glad I left because they have now changed their policies to where it will, would, if I was still working there. Oh, um, wow. And, and, the, and the policy change came so quickly that a lot of people that heard of me leaving assumed that I got fired because of it. Because there has been a few people fired because of some social media posts that were reported to the HR department. And the company I'm talking about is Nissan, and oh, well. that's where I used to work. At. And I, I never, I never, I don't, I never said it publicly on my show because you know I know how social justice warrior mobs work, and I would, I wouldn't hold it against Nissan to fire me if the mob's coming and and threatening to boycott. You know they got to run a business too. I get it. So I just kind of kept that separate. I don't have any problem saying now I'm self-employed. The guy that I work with loves me to death. I mean, there's nothing that's going to happen that I'm going to lose my job. The, the mob has no control over that. That's the, that's the point. Um, but the, the funny thing is, is, is I spent my time during the COVID-19 shutdown because we were furloughed and we weren't working for about three months. Okay. Um, right before we come back, I, I went ahead and just made the leap and said, you know what? I don't want to go back in there. They're putting in all these COVID-19 measures where we got to wear masks and we got to have dividers between everybody and everybody's got to stay a certain, and it's already hot as hotter than hell in there as it is. Uh, so I decided, you know, what? I'm, I'm gone. I'm leaving. I'm not going back. I'm going to take the leap and do this new thing. And so far, so, so good. It's working out. And I ended up hearing the rumors through the grapevine that I was I was fired because of my social media posts. So I have a reputation around my work group about the types of things that I talk about. And a lot of them will engage me in those conversations, which is a lot of fun. It keeps makes the day go by much faster, especially when you're just doing the same repetitive monkey task over and over and over again. So I get this uh, message, uh, this message from a guy. He's like, hey, was it true? Were you actually fired for for such and such? And I'm like, no. And he called me up and I talked to him, told him what was going on. And I ended up making a big, a big post on social media saying basically the, the gist of it is, you know, of all the people I worked with, two people reached out to me and actually asked me what really happened. The rest of you assholes continue to spread the rumor around that I got fired. And meanwhile, what I actually did was I did the exact thing that all the rest of you have been griping about the entire time. All of you have been bitching because you hate your job. 
and you're you're telling me how much you can't stand it and you wish you could do something else and you wish and and having all these hopes and dreams and never doing anything about it you had a an opportunity literally of a lifetime three months off work paid and you did nothing you you sat on your asses you watched netflix and you bitched about the covid on the on the, on the tv or on on the internet and then you went crawling back to work because you're just too scared to go out and do your own thing. And it's like, come on, people, let's be about it instead of saying just, you know, either, uh, sorry, you can tell I'm a little heated or a little, little passionate about this particular subject. And that, that drives me nuts. People bitching about their jobs and never doing anything about it. Like, for Pete's sake, people, like do something, anything. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not taking the initiative. I think that's such a. I mean, I don't know if that's a function of the culture that we're in now, or if that's just always been a human thing, speaking of Gulliver's Travels and and cycles. But I know a lot of humans who, uh, during the past three months or four months, have just kind of moved more, moved into whatever their bad habits were more fully. And so instead of taking advantage of, like you're saying, making the best of a bad situation and using the time to maybe learn new skills or work on some stuff they've been wanting to do, you know, from home, some of their own personal projects. Um, you know, like I had a friend who was saying, and I've, and I've seen this, I've seen this happen with friends who, um, friends who were drinking a lot before the pandemic are drinking a lot more now, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, people who maybe had spent too much time on social media, spending a lot more time on social social media now, but like whatever those bad habits are, I think it's been brought, it's been brought to the surface or it's been um, um, exacerbated by this in some cases. And thank goodness I quit drinking before the pandemic (laughs) because I might be one of those people. Um, But yeah, I like, I like your point. I like that you've just seized the day. You're doing what you want to do. You're going after it. It's very Jordan Peterson of you. Well, Um, another another thing is the the family dynamics that were already total shit and were being avoided by going to work every day. Like when you're only interacting with your family for a few hours a day, you can kind of get by, you can kind of make the most of it somewhat. But when you're stuck in a house with them 24 seven, boy, does that really test the actual value of relation, uh, the, the strength of your relationships. And there's, there's actually, I was, I was looking, I can't remember who it was, was talking about this, that the amount of deaths that were caused due to the lockdown are so much higher than the actual deaths of the reason we were locked down to begin with. Yeah. Because of suicide and because of domestic violence and because of just, just overdosing and just all sorts of other thing, just basically the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of things going on here where we think we're doing good for society by shutting everything down and trying to protect everybody and trying to put everybody in a bubble wrap when in reality you end up with higher death count than you did. <laughs> you know, it's it, everything just ends up way worse because you cannot. That's that's the that's the thing about trying to central planning is not how we would solve these things. It's just not. This is what you get. But people are they don't they're not aware of the numbers. First of all, all they hear is about their great aunt Edna that, that we're trying to protect and we're trying to wear a mask around. Like, great, I get it. That's fine, I, and that's a good thing. You, you're good people with good hearts, and I appreciate that. But you, you, you got to pull your head out of your ass. You really do, because you're not, you're not getting the full picture. You're just not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and they certainly aren't. Uh, you talked about incentives earlier. The, the, the people quote in charge. They, 
we like to use the term the cathedral. The cathedral has no incentive to uh, tell you the truth about any of this. This is just uh, this is part of the show. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna scare you about COVID. They're gonna only talk about one side. When when a doctor comes and says something contradictory, they're gonna rip him down off of YouTube as fast as they can, so you don't see any uh, counter arguments. They're gonna make sure that uh, your worldview is carefully constructed. Uh, by the narrative they want you to, they want you to believe. So I don't know. What, yeah. Do you, do think you that guys think? Go ahead. Go ahead. I saw something today about um, how Trump had tweeted that maybe we should postpone the presidential elections so that we don't have to rely on mail-in voting. And I saw people, some people in my timeline, were kind of joking about how. Okay, congratulations. If we do this, we've just cured COVID, meaning they'll drop this narrative. The pandemic will go away in terms of public consciousness, in, ter in terms of the the legacy media, the cathedral pushing it. Um, if if the idea, if if you know the election were to be postponed, because they're kind of viewing it as just the the virus itself is being exploited for propaganda purposes. Um, do you think that there's any truth to that? If the election were to be delayed, postponed, do you think that the virus would go away? Can this I answer, dumb, can I answer the question a little bit yeah. differently? You probably okay. expected I was going to answer this question. Okay. okay. So when it comes to electing someone or voting for somebody, I actually wrote an entire guide called The Politician's Guide to Rigging, I Mean Winning an Election. And it just goes over and details all of the ways that people will uh, politicians will rig the election and, and examples, cited sources, experts, everything else is in this particular dark document. I'll send you a link later if you are interested. I've got it but pulled up here, actually. It's yeah, I was looking at it before the show. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so regardless of what ex what exactly the strategy is or what you know, order we do things in or how I don't, are we going to do mail-in ballots? Are we going to wait? Are we going to like, you know, ban voter ID laws? It doesn't, quite frankly, none of it really matters. I could care less whether or not the election is postponed because it's just going to be rigged anyway. <laughs> I don't care. I don't, uh, as an anarchist, that's something I think almost zero about. Right. Do you do you think that the elections are actually completely rigged? Because I, I I would have been more on that page with you prior to Trump getting elected, but it seems to be they really don't like that he got elected. Like it seems to be that the the bureaucracy really didn't want this. Uh, completely rigged is kind of an impossible standard to meet. So no, I don't think it's completely rigged. But I do know there is so much of it that anybody that looks into it will not have any faith in your elections. You just won't. Sure, sure. That makes sense. I mean, I mean if, you, if you see all the different methods that are used, and I'm pretty sure I didn't list all of them. Those are just the ones that I could figure out and, and find credible sources for. Yeah. No, I remember I, w I used to be a cryptographer, and I remember years ago, like we, we looked at the, when Diebold came out with their um, voting machines originally, it was like mm -hmm. the 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 security was so pathetic that it was almost unbelievable that they got away with this. And then it wasn't like there was not really any big like they quote fixed it, but there was no like we're going to ditch Diebold as our company or like it, it was not. It was like, oh, well, but I think at one point they literally in one machine, someone found they had stored keys in plain text just there. Like it was just 
the most moronic stuff. But, you know, that that maybe got reported it a little bit and then it went away. No one we never heard mm. about it. No one cares. So out of curiosity, like if we had a if we had an election that was based on that was done through the blockchain, cryptocurrency, that kind of world. I don't know how much you know about it, but would if you do know about it, would you be comfortable with an election being held on the blockchain? Me? Sure. I mean, well, I mean, I I think democracy sucks. So I don't know what's the point of holding an election on the blockchain to like violate my rights more directly. I don't know what that I don't know. Yeah. Realized as that question left my lips, <laughs> talking to a see because I'm okay. I'm not. Used I to would be comfortable with a, a, a anarchist rather. I would be more comfortable with it taking place in the blockchain. I would be more comfortable with it. Yes. Yeah. I would yeah, believe yeah. the results more. I'll let me put it that way. I will believe the accuracy of the results. Maybe that's would that a better make way. Me comfortable. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but it would regardless, be regardless, <laughs> you guys still, are too funny. <laughs> regardless, it's still two wolves and a, and a sheep voting on what they're going to exactly, have for exactly. Yeah. I mean, so I so actually speaking of election, this is actually something that I think you and I disagree about um, as anarchists, and that's always fun because there's sometimes you know I like disagreement. Um, I don't think it's immoral to vote. I did for a long time. I didn't vote for fifteen maybe 20 years. I didn't vote for a long time. I thought it was immoral. But you think it's immoral to vote? Make your case, and then I'll tell you why you're dead wrong. <laughs> oh, I was kind of hoping you'd lead with why I'm dead wrong, but okay. Um, I mean, as, as far as I want everyone if, to hear, though, that, that you know. Okay, I, I guess base, basically is you know along those same lines. If uh, I'm not saying voting is immoral, I'm saying oh. voting in a system of government is immoral. Voting yeah, itself yeah, yes. is not moral, but I mean, as far as voting for your government politicians, voting for the state, uh, that's just basically uh, actively participating in a in an immoral system. And that kind of makes you immoral by implication, by default, by uh, that's I'm, I'm totally lost the word I'm actually looking for. But, you know, by by extension, by, by association, proxy. Yeah. by proxy. Sure. Why not? Um, that makes you kind of implicit in the in the crime that's being right. committed. You're, you're like, if, if I'm going to steal, if I'm going to come to Carrie's house and 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 I'm going to steal her money and I'm going to break in, I'm going to steal that horse back there on her mantle there. That's that's immoral. Nobody would look at nobody would look at that and go, yeah, you're you're kind of an you know, you're kind of really nice. You did the right thing. But if I then turn around and, and you know, vote for somebody else to go in and take the horse, that doesn't suddenly make the crime any less bad. <laughs> it just makes me kind of pulled away from it a little bit. <laughs> but I'm still committing the damn crime. That's right. interesting. Right. OK, so I, I like, I like that. this argument. I don't, I don't agree, but I like it. Okay. Yeah, I like I like the argument. I think it's a good argument. Uh, here's my disagreement well, with the argument. Let me throw let me throw one more thing. Oh, okay. okay. Please. Now, these politicians are telling Carrie <laughs> that we're going to take that horse and we're going to give it to the to an orphanage, kids that really really needs it. Does that make it all? Does that make it better? <laughs> mm. I don't want them coming to take my horse. Right. <laughs> now, now, but you if might, I feel like they can, I can't stop them from coming and take the horse anyway, I might vote for the people who I think are going to give my stuff to the places I would prefer it to go. Yes, you know that just puts you in a picking the lesser of two evil situation. Yeah. But wouldn't you rather have a society where you voluntarily go to the orphanage of your choice and give your horse away because you felt like doing it out of the kindness of your own heart instead of being told that you're a monster for not doing it and we're going to take it anyway? This is a good argument. You're going to have me thinking about this for a few days. Well, Carter, why and, have you never made this and Carrie, argument? 
Are you actually moral if if someone takes your horse and gives it to the orphanage, they've robbed you of the ability to be moral yourself because you didn't have a choice in that. So actually, you lose the ability to do a moral act through the theft. Okay. I'm with uh, you. I'm with you. But I thought you were going to explain why he's wrong. Yeah, he's, I, he's going to. I will. Okay. I will. I, I, so here's why I think you're wrong. Although I like everything you said. It's all good. Uh, the initiation of the use of force is wrong. Using force in defense is not wrong. So the analogy I'll give you is um, I'm, we're in a room with run by a bunch of mobsters who are stealing from other people and shooting people they don't like. And the mobsters turn to us and they say, and, and you and I both agree, we got to get out of this room. We got to get rid of these mobsters. I don't know how, but we got to get rid of these mobsters. And one of the mobsters says, hey, I'm going to run for office. I'm going to do less stealing than this guy over here. And I think that that might be a better path towards getting rid of the mobsters. And you disagree with me. And so I'm saying, well, I'm going to, even though this is a horrible situation, you can't apply morality. You can't apply that moral standard to me because I am under duress. I am responding to the initiation of the use of force against me. So I'm very, I personally, I'm very lenient about so long as people recognize that the state is initiating force against them and their goal is to get rid of that initiation of force. I'm extremely lenient in, in terms of what personal choices they think are the best tactics to make that happen. Because I don't think it's immoral to shoot back, even if you hit a bystander, you are doing this out of defense. That's an interesting argument, and I have heard it before, and I don't disagree with you necessarily. Um, I feel like if, in a society where you where you have a choice to vote, you should probably choose not to vote. Uh, that's just how, this is kind of the direction I tend to go. Um, there's no right answer here, obviously, but you do make an excellent point for it. I, I can't I can't argue against it, honestly. Um, at least not yet. I haven't put that much thought into it, and I'm not necessarily going to try to either because it's a, it's a good solid point, as far as I can tell. But it's just I feel like in a, in a situation where you have a choice of whether to vote or not, you you just don't vote, and you you express your uh, discontent in other ways. I mean, I can still do important political works without directly participating in the system itself. You know, I can have a podcast or something called Unframe of Mind where we have conversations <laughs> about these things. And yes, I mean, I'm just brainstorming, of course. Yeah, know? theoretically, it's off the top of my head. There's other. What I'm saying is, there's other ways that I can affect politics and I can affect what happens with the state and the government without directly. Uh, participating in the system itself. And, and I try to minimize my exposure and my participation within that system as much as possible. You can read into that however you f choose. No, and I agree with that. And I, 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 my whole point is I think it's really a, a personal tactical decision, not a moral one um, right. at that point. And, you know, I don't normally vote at all. And when I did vote, you might appreciate this. When I did vote, my goal was gridlock. So I would vote, I would vote for whatever party needed more to stop the other part because I just I figured the government doing nothing is better than whatever the hell other one of them is going to do. So the more gridlock I can have, it's like staving off my execution a little bit. I don't know if that makes sense. It's just, you're, you're just prolonging the inevitable, though, in that case. <laughs> yes, that's all I'm doing. I totally admit that's all I'm doing. I'm just prolonging I the mean, inevitable. But it buys me time. And once you grow some balls, man, and take the arrow for your kid before you end up prolonging it so long that they're the ones that end up having to take the arrow. Oh, well, I'm not, I, one doesn't preclude the other, right? So I can, I can prolong it. And for example, 
uh, start a place called Unsafe Space where we have conversations talking about anarchy and peaceful parenting and the Enlightenment. So I can do both of those things. Uh, and I normally, <laughs> I actually haven't voted normally. Uh, but yeah. I did. I, I do sometimes when I think it will help prolong things and give me uh, more runway to fight. And to be clear, I do say grow some balls with the utmost of respect. Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, guys, I hilarious. can't even grow a beard. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> I'm loving watching this. Can I just sit back and... <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, been... Carrie. I feel like this is a oh, no. anarchy no, you don't. I'm not saying that because, no, it's been really fun watching the movie. <laughs> here's, here's what I've enjoyed about this because she is like the audience that we actually get to see the the authentic reactions like as we bring up these points she's like yes you almost you almost see the gears ticking like huh <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> so then then what 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 happens is other people watching this will also see carrie and go huh yeah you know when you see somebody nod and you kind of want to nod with them you know like that you know you, carter you're doing <laughs> yes carter's never made the horse argument before which i have to say carter <laughs> yeah, and he's, he said for a while that he's trying to um, give me the anarchist pill or whatever. And um, it was kind of a joke that he is, but you never did that argument. I think the horse pill would have. <laughs> the horse pill. Uh, like, again, I'm just, I try to take it and, and bring it back down to a simplistic, concrete, uh, evidence, you know, not evidence, uh, examples as I can, you know, as if I'm teaching it to a five year old. Not to say that you have the mentality of a five year old by no. No means, but it's just uh, I try to keep it nice and simple and make sure the analogy actually makes sense as best as yeah. I can. That's you the know, best way to do it in conversation. Analogies get so deep and so complex and convoluted that you're like, I, I yeah, sure that yeah okay whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. And they've they've done clock they've done checked out you know moments ago and they're not paying attention anymore. But you keep it nice and simple. Like okay, so we got this thing here. You know, it, this in this in this system it works this way, and in this system it would work this way. Which one do you kind of prefer? Oh, well, I kind of prefer that one there because that seems a lot nicer and a lot more voluntary, and it feels like nobody's holding a gun at my head if I refuse. You know, there's there's no gun in the room on that one. That's that's interesting. I like that better. Yeah, and the truth is, actually, all this stuff needs to be. Uh, this needs to all be very simple. You like you don't, in order to get people to even agree with or understand things. I mean, not everyone wants to have a deep philosophical conversation you need to be able to explain very like the non-aggression principle uh which carrie uh i think supports right the non-aggression principle yeah. is pretty straightforward like you can teach a five-year-old the non-aggression principle basically and it's like oh like it, you know it's not some convoluted way of having to think it's pretty intuitive and straightforward well yeah, i think a lot of times when people like a lot of bad ideas bad ideology that we talk about on the show um is uh, one of the ways it's obvious is when people are using unnecessarily complicated ways of talking about it or sort of obscuring the fact that they're not really saying anything by using a lot of academic sounding words, you know, pseudo intellectual jargon. And, and I just, I, I definitely feel that even the most um, nuanced conversations, if you're trying to get a point across you can figure out how to make that point in a way that the average person can understand you if your goal is to be understood. But I don't think that, you know, bad ideology, the goal is not to be understood. The goal like is that. to yeah, manipulate. I like what you said, if your goal is to be understood. And that's interesting because you see a lot of this happening on the left, especially where they take words 
and complicate the meaning of them or they change the meaning of them and they start to use them in a different way. So where people can't quite keep up with or they tell you like these simple phrases that you've been using for hundreds of years, those are racist. So you have to use this much more complex term that most people aren't going to try to learn. Otherwise, you're you're you know, you are some somehow offensive, bigoted, racist or whatever it is. And a lot of these things, a lot of these terminology changes I keep seeing are only have the effect of kind of shutting down speech insofar yeah. as it makes it so complicated that people just kind of throw their hands up and give up because it's just easier to just say, OK, I don't I don't know. what. OK, sure. Whatever. I'll just shut up. I won't say anything because I don't want to get accused of saying the wrong thing. You know, yeah. it is. It's about it's it's what Carter's talked about before. It's when you use words or language as a tool to control rather than as a tool to create better understanding. So they are using words as tools, they're, but they're not using them in the same way that I would say we try to use words to make sure that people understand what we're saying, even if they disagree, that at least they understand they're not getting the wrong impression or they're not leaving a conversation, having a misunderstanding about what we meant. Um, they use words the opposite way. And it's, it's just to, to try and force compliance with the belief system. I think it's this is happening intellectual now. intimidation, right? I think it's intellectual yeah. intimidation, right? You don't understand the words I'm using, but I'm, I have a fancy degree from Harvard. And so uh, you yeah. need to get on board with the new definition of racism, Carrie. Otherwise, you're a horrible person, right? It's, it's intimidation. And, and regular people are like, okay, like, I don't, I don't want to be a racist. So there, there used to be a time when you, 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 it's a pretty common phenomenon where, you know, you would kind of give excuses for your racist grandpa. You know, he, he's, he comes from a different time. You know, we just, right. he's, he's a great guy. He just still has these, these ideas that are, you know, we don't, we don't do those ideas anymore. Um, but nowadays everything's so escalated that you have to have the ideas, you know, right. You have to have them right now, right now, you know, this, this new terminology, if you're not using it, you know, three days ago, you're already, you're already behind the curve and now you're just falling, you know, and now it's, it's like this, you can't possibly keep up with it. Like I, have a hard time keeping up with it and I like keeping up with it. Okay. Right. It's like, and even with the job change, like one of the, one of the disadvantages that I found is I don't have the time to listen to as many podcasts. I used to listen to uh, about 12 hours worth of podcasts in an eight hour shift every night. So wow. you could really, you know, that's all I did. I just had my headphones in, did my thing and went on about my business. So I, I now I'm I'm starting to feel like what it must feel like to be a normal working American or normal working anybody for that matter. I don't know why I differentiated American. <laughs> um, and and you have kids. I've got four kids. I've got a full time job. I'm working now. And like to listen to these podcasts or try to read articles and keep up with the latest stuff. I like I I'm I'm not overwhelmed, but it's like I I really feel the pressure of trying to keep up now. Whereas you know, imagine, imagine being somebody that doesn't really want to know about this stuff. Maybe they're interested in other things and then you're kind of hearing it through the peripheral or, you know, it's kind of mentioned in passing and you don't know, you just don't know. And then you get ambushed all of a sudden by somebody who's woke as hell. And you're yeah. like, I, I don't know any of this. I guess I'm racist. I, I, I don't know. Well, the dirty, the dirty secret is it's not intended for you to be able to keep up with it. It's intended to the way to get you the way to train compliance is to get you to constantly feel like you have to just obey because you don't know and you're behind the eight ball and eventually you just stop even questioning whether you're behind the eight ball and because eventually you just learn to comply so i don't i don't comply. think it's intended for you to ever Period. understand or keep up with yeah it. <laughs> and it, and it the, 
what you're talking about with people, you know, trying to keep up and, and having a lot to do and not having time to maybe listen to a lot of shows or do a lot of reading. And, um, there's so many people that I know, or I've talked to in the past two months, whether online or by phone or in person, people who are just like busy people living normal lives, trying to raise kids, trying to put food on the table who have not been paying a a lot of attention to this stuff who are now starting to see it because now it's infiltrated the mainstream to such a degree that you can't not see it, or it's coming into their workplace or it's coming into their city council or it's coming into their kid's school um, or it's being preached to them by the corporations that they, you know, they turn on Netflix and then here's your recommended black lives matter playlist for today, or it's on Spotify, it's everywhere. And so for those people, I think um, those of us who are talking about what this belief system is, I think that everybody has like a different role to play and different talents and different ways of attacking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all of us have to get a little better at being more, I need to get better anyway, at being more efficient and doing things in smaller chunks and just really kind of, like you said, explaining it to a five-year-old. What is this belief system? Can you explain it to a five-year-old what it really is? You know, so you said something that kind of gave, gave me an idea and I may maybe I'm completely way off, but I almost wonder if that's part of the reason why when the parenting issue in particular comes up is because these people that have been living these busy lives, raising kids and doing everything else and being told by the media how terrible a person they are. Now somebody's tr- coming in and questioning the one thing they felt like maybe they were doing right. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a major yeah. your life when you have kids. That is your life. And yeah, now yeah. you're that I'm doing that wrong too. I, I, I guess I can kind of understand why you would be so defensive when defensive. that's up. I think that's also sense, just a Daniel. deeper psychological thing, right? Because your parent, like a lot of people parented the way they were parented. So attacking you for your parenting or even suggesting that your parenting might want to change, like you should rethink it. A lot of the response, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of responses I see are like, it worked fine for me. It's like this, um, they have loyalty to their parents. And the way mm. that they were brought up. And so any anything that questions what they're doing is an affront to their entire family structure and the love for their parents and how awesome their dad is. And like, how dare you suggest that he was abusing me when he spanked me? We're like, it's a I think there's a ingrained psychological barrier to being able to hear that because of because we learn our parenting from our parents. Yeah, and it becomes normalized to a yeah. point where you don't feel like anything was wrong. And of then course. when you actually do question it, you're it's 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 interesting how many conversations that I've heard and have had where they're like, oh, my my childhood was fine. Everything was great. I had a, a great childhood. And when you start getting down into the to the weeds, you're like, oh, they start realizing, man, I, I thought it was normal. I, like, I've, I've wow, that was a really abusive relationship I was in with my parents. Like you start to really realize what you actually experienced was not OK. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I've even I've even had conversations with people who were raped by the boyfriend of their mom. And mom's totally blameless. Like there's no like, yeah, I have a great relationship with my mom. My mom's awesome. I'm like, Your mom put you in a house with the rapist. <laughs> like th- there's culpability yeah. there, kid. Um, But it's so af- your people are so afraid to. Um, ascribe any negative moral uh, to, to let any negative uh, moral points accrue to their parents. I, I don't know. I, I think it's just 
I think it's this kind of parental bond thing that it just threatens the bond because they don't want to have to go say to mom, hey, mom, uh, that boyfriend, I don't know if you know, but you kept leaving me alone with him and this is what happened. Like, that was bad of you, mom. <laughs> like, it, gets, it gets even worse than that. I've had conversations with people, for example, I'm not trying to give out specific names or details or anything like that, but this person I know, um, she grew up. Uh, her, her parents divorced when she was about 11, 12 or something like that. And her mom ended up getting with some other guy who then decided he thought it was a good idea to sit in her room at night and masturbate while he thought she was sleeping. Okay. Jeez. Gross. So then she goes and tells her mother about what's going on and her mother makes excuses for him. Does nothing about it. Stays with the guy. But somehow... Later on down the road, she still thinks her mom is all, all the world. Right. Um, fast forward many, many years later, she starts to kind of it starts to kind of dawn on her her mother's role in this. And she finally had to cut her mom out, at least to, to some extent, <laughs> and is actually on a path to healing. Finally, <laughs> once the once the blame and the the responsibility was laid at the shoulders and laid at the feet of the person that actually was a part of it and actually was responsible for that responsible for protecting her and didn't you know only then was she able to start healing right and that kind of goes back to the very beginning what we were talking about how people kind of use this politics and weather and all that crap like that sports even to kind of avoid talking about avoid bringing up these difficult subjects because it's just much better just leave well enough alone it's right much easier, it's much right? easier to say how about them stealers than like hey your boyfriend raped me why didn't you protect me that's... Yeah, I feel like that would be a great time for a, 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 a totally inappropriate punchline, but I'm just going to I'm just going to forgo. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it would no, be. Go ahead. Make your inappropriate. Punchline. No, oh, um, I didn't. I didn't have I didn't have one. I was trying to pretend like I did, but I felt no. like it needed. one. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there was one there. I just don't know. What yeah, I'm trying been. to take the high road here and you won't let me. All right. No. Well, you've had you have a reputation. I'm trying to help you live down to it. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I can we can we back up for a minute and just talk about um, I guess it's not backing up, but I think I mentioned earlier, you've got some you've had some wild guests on your show. Um, mm -hmm. I'm saying wild in the like guests that would make many people go. <gasps> uh, and, you know, you treat them with respect and you have conversations with them. What are some of the kind of most outrageous things that should have that, that would get you canceled? Like, what are some of the most outrageous uh, conversations that you've had on Unframe of Mind? You know, oddly enough, I would say probably just because of my positions and because Anthony is a con Christian conservative, probably every conversation we've ever had. <laughs> but <laughs> I know that's you not guys what you're No, no, not that we argue, but we have conversations and we talk about shit. We talk about, you know, race issues and we talk about uh, all sorts of social justice issues and what, you know, whatever is on our mind, we'll talk about it. And and we're we're very open about it and blunt about it. And so there's there's a very big possibility that any of our shows could have gotten us canceled and probably still will. Who knows? Um, but as you as you alluded to, we, we did actually speak with a, a avowed uh, racist, like straight up white. I don't I think he said he, he's not a white nationalist. But he is a racist. He kind of made some weird differentiation between the two, and I'm not really sure. Now, ironically, after the show, this guy pitched a bitch because his audio was bad. Like, he didn't give a shit about the topic at hand. He just wanted me to shut down the show and, and remove it because his audio was bad. He didn't like it. 
like, the sound like, quality. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that really kind of it's interesting because I feel like I don't want I don't want to like make any kind of diagnosis. People can't hear my racism clearly. <laughs> right. And it was it was like okay. <laughs> and I'm trying like. I, I'm I'm trying to like understand where he's coming from is the thing. Like I don't agree with anything he says, but I'm trying to understand it right. because I feel like I can make my point stronger. And I feel like I can, if I can shine some light on that idea, like I'm actually going to live to my principles, you know, shining light on bad ideas, for example, is, is, is the best speech, you know? So it would be, it would be weird for me not to have a racist on the show. If that makes sense. <laughs> Like, that would be that would be completely like, oh, he's avoiding the racist because he's too scared. No, that's not. How, <laughs> now, there was one guest that I chose not to have on the show and only one. He was a convicted pedophile who was in jail for years, ended up getting released, wrote a book about his experiences and wanted to come peddle his fucking book on my show. Yeah. And I struggled with that because I'm like, I, I want to give this guy a chance to tell his side of the story and talk and, and explain to us what goes through the mind of a pedophile. That would be interesting, I think, in and of itself. But at the same time, I'm not about to have him on to peddle a book. It's just not happening. If he was yeah. just coming to try to educate and try to help and heal and maybe even make amends or apologize or something, I don't. maybe I would have considered it, but I don't know. That was, that was a tough one. But beyond that, I've not turned down anybody at all ever. Yeah, that, that's a hard one. I mean, I listened to the episode with the racist guy, and I I actually think that it was really something that came out of that conversation that I don't think would come out of a conversation if you didn't have a conversation with the racist is is you asked him about his uh, progression because he was a leftist and he like uh, maybe progression is not the right word. but <laughs> you, you asked him about his transformation. Um, yeah. And uh, that, that ideological journey of sorts. Yeah. But. One thing that I that really struck me was it seemed like because the left is so hypersensitive about any race topic, any suggestion of anything that might slightly be outside of their narrative, it sounded like his journey was I said some things which actually weren't racist, but I was curious about at the beginning. I was called a racist as a result. And that's what led him into like looking up these actual racists and like well on his path. Now he's a racist. Yeah, that's very possible. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was maybe he already had these preconceived notions at some point and just wanted to find that uh, uh, that evidence that supported his that's views, true. which a lot of people do that as well. There's no telling. There's Could no be. telling, man. And plus, as we've talked about, I think a lot of people who are on the SJW lab probably maybe personally have racist views themselves. That's why they ascribe their this whatever personal issues they have to entire races or sexes of people, you know, um, and you see them do these confessionals and Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility, is a, a confessional of sorts where she admits to racist um, uh, like things that she's thought before or racist fears of hers. And then she mistakenly ascribes those to like all white people. So it wouldn't surprise me if if there's some, a bit of overlap between people who kind of bounce between those two or ha who have moved between those two extremes. I think they overlap quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you've said another... in the past, go ahead, go ahead. 
Oh, so another guest that I would probably recommend checking out is uh, we had an interview a while back by, uh, with somebody by the name of Lil- Lily Forrester. And um, she told her story about how uh, she, they, they are anarchists of sorts that moved down to Mexico and ended up getting involved in some shit. And her boyfriend ended up getting killed. And there's a Facebook live video that went around, was went viral for a while of her, you know, freaking out about this going on. They're, they're trying to just live a life, uh, you know, <laughs> an anarchic, an, anarchic lifestyle. And uh, just, uh, there's so much stuff to this story that you really got to check it out. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Like you hear the, the kind of uh, journey she had and is having and trying to regain her life and get back on her feet and that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's something else, man. It's She's trying to live else. an anarchic lifestyle in Mexico. Uh, I believe so. An- Anarchapulco and that kind of area. Um, Interesting. There was, I'm, I'm trying to remember her, her name, uh, her boyfriend's, he went by the name of John Galton. If okay. you've read, uh, if you've read, uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged, you'll understand that reference. That was his, his, his name. Not his real name, but that was the name he went by. But he kind of fell in line with a lot of those principles and belief systems as well. Um, this it's, it was a it was a pretty powerful episode. And there, there, we have a lot of those like that where we talk about you know pretty pretty important stuff. Uh, like I said, parenting, uh, spirituality, politics, whatever. Just you know, <laughs> we're all over the place, but we do try to keep it as as entertaining as possible. Yeah, I think you guys are a fun version of us. A fun version. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, with dirtier jokes. <laughs> yeah, you, you have dirtier jokes, and uh, you've got you've got the atheist anarchist, and you've got the 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 Christian, but you're more funny. I'm not really. You're more entertaining. I'm not really conservative. Um, Wait, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a pretty new Christian. Yeah. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Well, because God spoke to me and, uh, look, I had a long path back to God. I don't, you know, Carter and I, every once in a while, we'll talk about this, but not a lot. Not Not often. I've never asked you why. Okay. Why? Um, not like that. (laughs) No, (laughs) I had a, yeah, I I felt like, look, there's a Bible verse that really speaks to me and I've, I've since read it in a few different places in the Bible where God says, um, I will put I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will steer you back on the path. And it speaks to me because it felt like that's what he had to do with me because I was so I had gone gone so far afield and was so stubborn. And if you had told me five years ago that I would be a Christian and going to church and trying to study the Bible and talk to God and pray, I would have laughed in your face because it would have seemed so foreign and impossible. But um you know, I went when I started leaving, these things happened side by side. I don't really know if if there was a chicken or an egg or they just happened at the same time. But when I was leaving my ideology, I was also searching for God. I was also going through like a, a, probably the lowest part of my life personally and figuring out who I was and what I believed. And I became really obsessed with. I remember a while I became very obsessed with whether or not we have souls. Like I wanted to answer this question. I started asking, I would be at the gym and I would, you know, go to the shower and before I got in the shower, like just, I just remember this one moment. It just became, I was compelled. I was texting friends. Like, do you think we have souls? And they're like, it's seven in the morning. Why are you texting me? (laughs) But I couldn't, I became gripped with these questions. And so. Did you find a soul? 
shower at the gym? <laughs> I uh, I got some answers from the time I got out of the shower. I had some answers from friends. But yeah, I went, I started going to a spiritual center, which worked for me at the time. It was the only place I probably would have gone at that time because it was so open and not non-denominational. And it was kind of a mixture of Christian beliefs along with some new age stuff and, and very much about, um, like, like Eckhart Tolle kind of, you know, being present, being conscious, like a mindfulness kind of stuff. And so I was going to this place called Agape Spiritual Center. And I, I feel like that's the door that God used to bring me back in because I wouldn't have gone through any other door. And, um, uh, I enjoyed that for a while and it served its purpose. And then I was going to another spiritual center when I moved to Texas and that served its purpose. And then I just started exploring. I started going to different kinds of churches and trying to see if I could feel God there. And, um, I had a Catholic friend who had recently come back to her Catholic faith, who had also, you know, been a non-believer for several decades. And so she took me to Catholic services, which I really liked, but, um, ultimately I didn't, I didn't stay there, um, long-term. And anyway, uh, where I'm at now is a place that really works for me. It makes so much sense to me why I had to go on this long convoluted path to get where I'm at. And, um, I have these moments where, you know, I don't try to argue them with reason because I can't like Carter says on our show, you know, feelings are not, um, oh, that's, arguments. Know, that's that's and Ben Shapiro. I know. Yeah, it's not well, me. and also, but you say, you know, there's, there's no different ways of knowing or whatever. We, I know, do. We, I do we, say epistemologically, there's only reason and right. there's not another way of knowing. And I which is why I don't try to convince people. anybody of what I believe. You know, if they want to ask me about it and have questions about it, great. But I'm not going out and, and, you know, here's what I believe and you should believe this too. That's just not, I know some Christians do that. It's just not what I feel like I'm called to do. It's sort of like how you talked about your kids, Daniel, being illustrating your philosophy or your belief system if you've done it right. Mm. Well, I kind of feel like if I behave in a way that reflects my beliefs, then that's that's all I need to do because then the people who, who God is speaking to will ask me. They'll come to me. I don't even have to, you know, talk about my beliefs and they'll they'll want to know. So that's, that's that sounds like an amazing journey, and I congratulate you on that uh, discovery. That's awesome. Um, I, I really enjoy. There's a, there's a church or two that I have been to. Believe it or not, as an atheist, I have gone to a, to church a time or I two. Believe it. <laughs> the, mainly, it's because my wife is is a Christian, and I went with her. And the only reason the only reason I enjoyed going to these particular churches is because the uh, pastor was. Uh, the, the stories he was telling. You know, if if I just kind of ignored the supernatural stuff and the God stuff, the the, the actual core messages that he was trying to convey were were really good messages uh very very good in terms of uh humor you know i liked his humor and the fact that they knew exactly who i was and what i was about and didn't treat me no differently you know that was that for me was like okay like i've been to i've been around judgmental christians i've been around ones that like almost back up from you and hold up a cross in front of them just because they're so terrified by what you might you know influence them with um, but this one here, they're, they're just like, I'm just like a normal person, like anybody else. And they're going to talk to me the same way and treat me the same with the same respect. And I was like, that's, that's the kind of Christians that I can get on board with, you know? Um, yeah. the principle, well, you are the kind of atheist I get on board with. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm not, a, I'm not a scary guy. Um, <laughs> I hope not. Uh, it's, it's like, um, there's, there's this phrase that I've heard 
thrown around in in light of uh, Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to those. This this idea of being a Christian atheist, and I was like, that's that's interesting because I kind of feel like I, in principle principle wise, I feel like I'm more of a Christian than most Christians are. If that makes sense. I don't I don't know. I don't believe in God, but I do believe that I hold more of the principles and actually follow through with the principles more consistently than other Christians I've ran into, you know? It's funny that you say that because, uh, I mean, I've talked about this before. One of the things that bothers me is Christians who claim to be Christian, but then don't follow Christianity at all. But I spent a while as like an, I would call myself, I did call myself an evangelical atheist. I really, it was really important to me to argue with Christians. And, uh, it was probably during the years that Carrie was a social justice warrior arguing with people. I was, I was arguing, <laughs> I was a, I was an evangelical atheist arguing with Christians. And um, it was Jordan Peterson, actually, one of, one of the main, th- it, I don't say, it wasn't specifically Jordan Peterson, because I had already kind of dropped the evangelical atheism, but Jordan Peterson also really, for me, um, brought value back to Christian tradition, like helped me see the value in some of the Christian tradition. And now I look at more as like, oh, there, there were group evolutionary strategies that worked really well and were codified in story form. And we should pay attention to those because there's some lessons to be learned there and we don't have to take them literally. Uh, so I, I think what you're saying kind of, it really resonates with me. Did, were you always that way or did you have to, did you go through a phase of like, screw Christianity and then kind of come back? Well, that that phase probably lasted for about the singular year of my 13th year <laughs> about it. Um, beyond that, uh, I, I, you know, I, th- I think I was pretty hard on some Christians during that time when I that was when I was just trying to figure this out. And, and that was just the only kind of information I was getting was that kind of message. You know, like I agreed with it, but this is their methodology for getting that point across. OK, I guess that's what we're doing now. Um, it probably wasn't honestly until uh mid to late 20s before I started kind of waking up to the anarchism section of this. And and finally, it's like every section of my life, I, I no longer had to compartmentalize. I didn't have to have my my government bucket, my state bucket, and I didn't have right. to have my, my religion bucket and my parenting bucket and my job bucket. Yes. No. All of a sudden, it's like I could have these these principles that flow through all of that consistently and make sense to me. And I can I don't have to be different people for different you know situations. You know I don't have to go to 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 church and pretend to be something that I'm definitely not, and then go to my friend's house and pretend to be somebody completely different. It's like all the principles just worked. You know the non-aggression principle. You can apply that everywhere. You don't yeah. have to have it in a bucket. You know. It's very liberating. It's like the Mark Twain quote kind of it's it reminds me of the Mark Twain quote with it's some I'm paraphrasing but it's like uh uh you don't have to remember if you don't lie you don't have to remember anything. Um it's it's kind of like if you have some guiding principles that you are you understand the foundation of them and you're sure about them you can kind of just apply them everywhere and it's like a superpower in your life. You're like, "Oh yeah, I'm not like I remember I remember getting to a point where like I'm not worried about talking about anything that I haven't even studied or don't know about yet yes. because like I'll just admit that I don't know if I don't know, and I have principles to guide me, and like, it, I'm done. It's easy. Well, funny it, enough, Jordan Peterson woke me up to that idea as well. Oh, interesting. The idea of of saying, you know, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion, and the idea that speaking somebody else's opinions as your own when you haven't given a lot of thought to them and they're not really your own, 
is the form of lying. Like he was the one that made me start thinking about that. The way that you'll, people will sometimes, um, well, even like in any, any tribe, it doesn't have to be a social justice echo chamber, but any tribe that you're in, if you just automatically have these opinions on things that you haven't taken a lot of time to think about and figure out what you think, then how that's not really uh, truthful, that that's something, you know, like climate change. I don't know what I think. I probably won't know for a while because I don't have time to do all that reading. <laughs> so. Same here. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But, I, but, but, but I'll say this. I don't know the science, but I know the principle, which is the answer is not a larger state. Like, I know what my answer is not going to be. It's not going to be violate people's property rights and steal shit from them. Like, okay. Like, right. that's, that's pretty clear to me. Give the government more money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so like, is, is there a problem? Yeah. Maybe how, what the extent is, what the causes are like, oh, that's all can be investigated. But, um, the answer isn't more tyranny. Uh, and the answer is freedom. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, always, no matter what it is, the answer is always freedom. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned Socrates and your list of influential people. I know we're keeping you a while. This will be, we'll, we can, we can wrap up soon, but. Uh, I love that you mentioned Socrates because I feel like Socrates is the answer to almost all of our, not all of our problems, uh, but it's quite a, quite a big shoe to fill there. <laughs> right. Well, but, but hear me out. We run around saying things without clear understanding of the definitions of anything we're saying. And we have these conversations and fight over stuff and claim things with zero definitional understanding. And I feel like Socrates if we just had a giant Socrates in the sky that was yelling at us to like define your terms, uh, mm. we would spend like 10 years arguing about definitions. But then after that, it would be like, oh, we can have conversations again and things would kind of fall out. I don't know. But uh, I found myself kind of uh, applying the Socratic method to myself the other day. Somebody made some point about how uh, wolves in the wild, there is no such thing as an alpha male. They they're only they only take on those attributes in ca in captivity and really? i was like my my initial gut reaction was like oh you're such an idiot i can't like, I, I can't take anything you're serious if you're throwing that bullshit at me and i'm like before i ever say things like that because i don't know i just don't know that i right <laughs> you're not a biologist yeah you're who right. studied wolves right. right that yeah, yeah duh, wolves come in alphas and betas and all that we, we know we know this from like grade school right so i went and started looking at it real quick before i responded and just initial and gave my gut reaction which would have made me look like an idiot if i would have had to go back and look later but i went back and looked and i was like well i gotta refigure my entire formulation of that argument it didn't i wasn't wrong okay i didn't mean that that i, I it didn't mean that I, my i was wrong in my initial idea but the the example she threw at me was a good one that supported her argument not mine is what i'm saying and i, I wouldn't have known that if i had just you know thrown out my preconceived notions and yeah. wrote, wrote her off as an idiot you know yeah yeah, I love and, that. And the the other the other definitional problem I see is, and I based on who you've cited as influential philosophers, I'll assume that you're on board with this concept. Uh, concepts are there's a hierarchy of concepts, and um, you can't just use a concept and deny the the predecessor concept of it um, hierarchically, like logically hierarchically. And people do that all the time. They'll they'll say. Uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but they'll use the word freedom detached from what freedom 
means, like freedom from what and from whom, and how does that come? Where does freedom come from? Why is there such a thing as freedom? Why is that a value at all to anyone? And like, what does that mean? And they'll, so it's easy to get very confused about uh, how to think about things in a principled manner when you have these floating abstractions in your head for like these concepts and you don't really understand how they fit into a conceptual hierarchy and you don't have clear definitions, a lot of times you end up arguing with people and it turns out you're not even really speaking the same language if you get them into the, the definitions, if you start talking about definitions. Perfect example. We actually, I recently brought, uh, invited some new person to our group um, just based on that exact idea, that exact conversation was had where we were discussing, it was in a, in a, in a, in a page called capitalism kills. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> you know, I, I started, you know, being the, uh, dissenting voice and, uh, a couple of people were like, what, uh, you do know what this page is called, right? I was like, well, yeah, I do. I just want to know what you guys actually think so I can, you know, maybe understand where you're coming from. Like I, I, I join all kinds of groups that I disagree with for the same reason. But this lady, we started talking and it turns out that all it was is her and I agreed on everything except we had a different definition of what capitalism actually meant. I use capitalism and free market interchangeably. She differentiates the two and uses capitalism uh, interchangeably with corporatism. I was going to say, oh, wow. with the corporatism. Once yeah. we were figure totally out different. <laughs> Right. But once we were able to figure because because from the Marxist style thinking and that, and that kind of thing, that term capitalism has been made to mean corporatism it, it, from from their lineage of thinking. That's where that comes from. So it has a negative connotation automatically because of that. And it took us a minute to kind of get around. And once we dug it down to the core principles, that hierarchy of concepts you were talking about, it was like um, we kind of understood the definitions that we were using were not very representative of what we were actually trying to argue for or against. And it, it, really, it really helped a lot to understand where we were both confusing the two terms. And after that, I was like, you know what? I love this conversation. We have a group where we have these kind of conversations. Come on out. <laughs> she, she hopped on in and we've been, I've, I've enjoyed having her along ever since because she's another dissenting tone to go against the kind of overwhelming amount of right wing type ideal ide ideologues we have in the group. <laughs> so, right. Right. That's, that's, that's great. And, uh, it explains a lot. I've, that's one of the ones that I've struggled with. It's like, why do people, I don't understand why people keep confusing. Like capitalism is very simple. Why do they keep thinking it's all these other things? I didn't realize that there was like Marxist roots into definitionally what capitalism is that is different from what I'm defining as capitalism. Uh, right. So if, if you're arguing with those people about it, if you can break away and a lot of them still disagree with free market, anyway sure. but sure if you can break them away from that the capitalism word and try to d agree to talk about corporatism versus free market i think that's a much more a much better way of communicating the ideas and i think there's a lot more common ground there honestly and, and that's another way another place where definitions have been co-opted to put people against each other unnecessarily i think i don't know i'm yeah. still kind of new to that particular uh differentiation but you know i think it holds a lot of truth i, I hope it does anyway yeah, I think it yeah. does. Well, thank you, Daniel. We're going to wrap up. Uh, I want to plug your podcast again. It's called Unframe of Mind. People can find it here on YouTube. And um, they can also find you online at unframeofmind.com. Is that correct? Correct. 
any final thoughts? We usually like to leave on a positive note. Yeah, all all social media at Unframe of Minds. You can find us on all social at media. You, that, might, you um, might have missed. You're, you're obligated to give Carrie something inspiring. Give me something and, positive. And positive. So uh, not to put you on the spotlight, but tell us why it, civilization is not on the brink of failure. I am in the spotlight. And that's <laughs> OK. OK, that's good. <laughs> I'm going to have to really think. If I'd have known ahead of time, I'd have come up with something totally profound that you guys would like use for a clip in <laughs> your show for all of eternity. But since I guess it's on the spot and I'll have to come up with something. Listen, I I. I I feel like there is a lot more commonality between people than we realize. And this group I keep mentioning on Facebook, um, it, it's shown me that there is a lot of people that are kind of the silent majority that don't believe the bullshit. They don't believe the extremism we see on the news. And they are able to still have those conversations with one another like we used to do back in middle school where we could still be friends in the morning. You know, We could disagree, even vehemently disagree, and still be friends. You know, there's there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people out there. They're out there. They're kind of they're kind of uh, quieted themselves and censored themselves. And they, they're afraid to speak their voice and speak their mind publicly. But within the group, when they're a little more open and even during our Zoom calls and stuff we have, we have the best conversations. That's great. Well, that's inspiring. Thank you. That's a good good way to finish. How was that for on the spot? That was I great. Thought it was wonderful. <laughs> that was great. I love what you're doing. And thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. Twitter tells me there is a 98.2% chance that these are all rushing bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. It is not a cult. Now please forsake all previous beliefs and stop asking questions. Computer voice, Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.